greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips and walk out the door and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. Hello, welcome to Winds of Change. I'm your host and Bible teacher, Keith McKenzie. Welcome to session 15. We're going to be in Genesis chapter 3, verses 20 through 24 today. We have uh, another uh, <laughs> doctrinally packed uh, show. A lot of new things being introduced in these five verses right here. And then we'll probably be getting into chapter 4 on the next show. Hopefully. But anyway, let's, if you have your Bibles, let's open them up. But before we even uh, start reading here in uh, Genesis chapter 3, let's go ahead and take this before the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we give you thanks and praise for today. We thank you, Lord, that we're able to just come before your people. Pray, Lord, you would give us eyes and ears to both see and hear what the Spirit has to say today. Thank you for your word. For your word gives us life. It gives us hope in these days. Your word is truth. So we give you thanks and praise in the precious name of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. Thank you. All right. So Genesis chapter 3, verse 20. Let's get right into it. Let's see. Verse 20, it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Also, for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us, to know good and evil, and to know, and now lest he put out his hand and also take of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove the man out of the garden of Eden in a flaming sword which was turned every way to guard the way of the tree of life. All right, those five verses introduce a lot of new things here. Uh, we're also going to see some, um, what we're going to expand a little bit, types and shadows of what's to come. Uh, the Apostle Paul had said, uh, that the seasons and the, the, the festivals that uh, God had given in Leviticus 23, God's feasts, these are the appointments, the Moedims. He said these are shadows of things to come. The Lord Jesus fulfilled four of those seven feasts with his first coming. His second coming, he will fulfill the last three, three feasts, which will be... Uh, Yom Teruah, which is the Feast of Trumpets. He will fulfill uh, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. And then finally, the millennium will begin with the Feast of Tabernacles. So, here in verse 20, we go ahead and we're going to see that we have uh, the origin of death is here. The first uh, death is actually recorded here. We have uh, the doctrine of substitutionary atonement. Uh, which we'll expand on a little bit. Uh, atonement means to, to cover. And so here we have the, the first blood sacrifice and without additional illumination as we discussed last week how God's word is progressive in its revelation and how it begins to open up 
you know, from Genesis 1 to 11, we have this really, really concentrated, and if you've ever seen like a polymer that you put into water, it's very small, but as it sits there in the water, it, it grows incredibly. God's Word, the first 11 chapters of Genesis, which is why we're taking the time to go through this, because there's so many things that are introduced here that virtually we can find almost everything, every doctrine, every principle, um, that God wants us to understand has its origin right here in Genesis chapters 1 through 11. And remember that Genesis means origins. So we have all these origins that we want to go ahead and, and start opening up. So let's go back to verse 20 and just expound on a few of these things. So in verse 20 it says, And Adam called his wife's name Eve, because she was the mother of all living. Now this might be a good time to introduce um, also that Adam means man. Eve means living. Now as we begin to see, I think we might have touched on it a little bit last time, but Adam is the same uh, root word as man. So in the, the beginning of the Bible, up till Adam was called a, uh, his personal name, uh, it, it, re it referred, Adam meant the man. Now Eve here means uh, the mother of living. And, and you're going to see, by the time we get over to the genealogy in Noah, we'll wait till we get there, but you're going to see something that every one of those names that we read in the Bible like Noah, Adam, Seth, Enoch, Methuselah, all these names have, we, we read, when we read them, we're reading a English transliteration. It's not a translation of those names because we don't get the meaning of those names. Like Adam means man and Eve here means living. So there's something to keep in mind as we go forward that there's uh, these names that we have of our, you know, Bible here, there's far more meaning there in them, that polymer that we're talking about. And as you begin to read other passages of Scripture, it begins to illuminate and expand our understanding of that. So Adam goes ahead and he names his wife Eve, and he's also exhibiting some faith here. Because remember, after the curses were pronounced, God immediately set in plan of action of redemption, as we talked about. <coughs> excuse me. The um, from from here in Genesis chapter three all the way through, recall to like Revelation 21, we have this process of redemption because man has sinned against God. God is holy and separate from sin. That just means he's perfect. He can't be in the presence of sin. So. That's where we are with that. Verse 21, we see something right here, and it says, and also, it just, it just sounds so happenstance here, you know, matter-of-factly, the way you read it here, but there's something vitally crucial to our understanding that goes on right here in verse 21. And it says, also for Adam and his wife, the Lord God made tunics of skin and clothed them. So we have the doctrine of uh, substitutionary atonement, uh, blood atonement, and we also have the doctrine of clothing being introduced here in this, this tight little verse. But 
without any further understanding of this, by the time we get into Genesis chapter 4, when Cain and Abel bring their offerings to God, we're going to see this, this uh, idea of blood atonement. And you'll notice that cultures all the way from Aztecs, um, all over the world, in, in Africa, and virtually in all parts of the world, we have all kinds of religious systems that have blood sacrifices in them. And this all has its origins right here. That, you know, as the civilizations, civilizations began to grow and move out from the Garden of Eden in that whole area in uh, the um, Fertile Crescent, where uh, civilization began, the cradle of civilization, we have these ideas that were codified back here. And as we've discussed in the past, what happens is we have perversion of this uh, blood sacrifice, which we're going to get into of what it's actually pointing to. There's a reason for this. It all points to the cross. It points to the work of Jesus Christ. Okay? But perversion, remember, that means it's been altered from its original intent. So that's what these other types of uh, sacrifices, human sacrifices and stuff like that, that's where they all have uh, come from. So we have the doctrine of atonement introduced here because the Bible teaches that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sins. That's why Jesus had to come die a bloody death on the cross. He needed to shed his blood and that's why when when we worship him and we sing songs about the blood and all these type of things and there's a lot of churches that want to stay away from that. They think it's offensive. It's crucial to the understanding and it is um, really satanic uh, propaganda that tries to keep the church away from teaching about the blood because it is the blood that atones for sin. Okay? And here, God himself kills the very first animal. Okay? It doesn't say what it is right here, that he made tunics of skin for them. Remember, when they sinned, they immediately felt the impact of sin in their life. They'd only known good, right? Now they know the effects of evil. God had left them in a state of perfection, and they only had that one prohibition, remember? But if we're going to build character, then we need to have some kind of a test. But here we have God making the first sacrifice. So God takes, you know, their, the work of their own self-effort, okay, to clothe themselves with a fig leaf, right? God says, no, you're gonna, if, if you're going to atone for your sin, there needs to be um, blood. And that's because the penalty for sin is death. So the animal's death here is covering, all right, it's not taken away, Jesus takes away our sins, all right? He doesn't just cover it. He takes it away, all right? But here, the animal, so God can still communicate with them, there had to be this foreshadow, this type of a... Um, uh, this, is, this is like a picture 
of what was going to go on in the future when Jesus, who is the Lamb of God, slain from the foundation of the world. So this is very important that you understand this. So God clothes them. He kills and slays this animal and makes a sacrifice for them, pointing towards the cross. And he clothes them. So in a New Testament phraseology, we want to say that we are clothed with Christ. We are clothed in his righteousness, not our own righteousness. The Bible says that our own righteousness, okay, everything that we do, he says, is is filthy rags before him because God is holy and separate from sin. And and even as, as hard as we try in our own effort, we still blow it. I blow it all the time and so do you. But anyway... So that's just an introduction. We'll actually open up that a little bit more. We'll expound on that in Genesis chapter 4. Okay? Then verse 22, it says, Behold, the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us. This is another reference to the Trinity, which we discussed in Genesis chapter 1. He says, To know good and evil, and now lest he, being the man, put out his hand and take of the tree of life and eat and live forever... Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to till the ground and from which he was taken. Okay, so God, remember God had cursed the ground. Okay, now he's sending Adam out because remember he said cursed is the ground for your sake, Adam. Because the, what... <laughs> And and the tree of life here represents, if Adam and Eve had been able, and I'm sure they were probably thinking this, if we can just get to the tree of life, eat it, we're going to live forever because that's why God put it there. And, And so God prevents them from doing that because God is merciful. He sends them out of the garden, okay, so they lose paradise. Now they're in a cursed environment. They're fallen, sinful creatures who now, remember, Eve is bearing the sorrow of knowing the impact, okay, because remember, they were perfect. And they were the only ones who ever knew a perfect environment, a perfect scenario. And now they, more than anybody, understand the impact of sin and the lies of the devil, the serpent, that deceived them. So now they're being sent out and God says, cursed is the ground for your sake. This is because God doesn't want us to live forever in a sinless state because God himself is our exceedingly great reward. He is everything. He is the great I am. He is our, our life. He is, we were made to fellowship with the God of the universe, the only true God. And he loves you. He has a plan for you. And this is why he puts them out. So they, they begin to grieve in sorrow, which leads to repentance. This is what the New Testament teaches. This is what the Bible teaches, is that when we repent and turn back to God, Okay, and we're going to see something here. As they turn back to God, remember they're taken out. They're not allowed to eat this tree of life. And, and so in God's mercy, he drives out the man here in verse 24. It says, so he drove, that being God, drove out the man, and he placed cherubim 
at the east of the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword which turned every way to guard the way of tree of life. Now this right here is God is using a picture, okay? And so when Adam and Eve are out and they turn around and they're looking back east at the Garden of Eden where was where fellowship with God was, this is where... Um, you know, perfection was, this is where paradise was, okay? Almost like heaven for us, that we are on this side now of heaven, and when we look at it, and you're going to see here a type and a shadow of the tabernacle of God that God gave Moses uh, the pattern of the tabernacle that they built in the wilderness. This tabernacle is a fascinating study. At some point we will get into this where every piece of furniture in the tabernacle, its components, what it was made of, the Asia wood, the gold, the silver sockets, the, the cords, the, the curtain, everything, even the incense that they burned and the priestly garments and the gems and the clothing that they had all spoke about the, the ministry and the work of Jesus Christ. But on, in that tabernacle, there would, was this, uh, it was basically made into three compartments. We had the outer court, okay, where the people would come in and they would make sacrifice. Then they would cleanse themselves, and then there was the inner court. All right. This is only where the priests were able to uh, perform their duties. And only once a year, there was an inner room called the Holy of Holies. And the high priest, after much preparation and, and uh, following of you know, all these ordinances and everything they needed to do, was able to go behind the veil, all right, which speaks of our flesh, to fellowship with God once a year to make atonement for the children of Israel. So what he did in that is that when they begin to look back, that curtain from the Holy of Holies had, God had instructed Moses uh, and the people who fashioned and, and God birthed in them all the things that he wanted to have the furniture and the likeness and, and all the, the fine needlework that they did to make this. They made cherubim, which are like on the mercy seat of, of uh, the Ark of the Covenant. And they had uh, these cherubim in their wings. They would face each other on this curtain, and their wings would like touch each other. And this is actually a picture, a reminder of what we have here in the Garden of Eden. This is the way back to God. And God has prescribed a very specific path which comes through the shedding of blood by these animals because the soul that sins shall surely die. Animal sacrifices only cover for that point. This is God's mercy here that he's doing. And that's why when the high priest would go in, he would sprinkle blood on the mercy seat of the uh, Ark of the Testimony, which represented uh, God. And inside that Ark was Aaron's rod that budded, 
there was a pot of manna which speaks of Jesus and that rod speaks of Jesus being, you know, raised to life. It was a dead stick. It budded and bared almonds right there. So it was fruitful. And, and then there was the pot of manna that was also inside of it, which represents the bread that came down from heaven. And Jesus, in, in the, the Gospel of John, says, I am the bread of heaven which came down from heaven. And he was giving himself for us. That's why God likes his word, to, that we should eat his word. And, and we live on his word for our spiritual man. Also in that... Uh, Ark of the Covenant was the Ten Commandments, which represented the broken Ten Commandments that all of us break the commandments. And it was contained in this Ark, which was made of Asia wood, which is incorruptible wood, which meant that he was the uh, sinless Son of God. Overlaid with gold, which meant that he was deity. That gold represents deity. All right? Everything that was inside, God has it covered by the mercy seat. And then the priest, the high priest, and Jesus is our high priest, okay? And that's clearly laid out in Hebrews, uh, the, the things and the, the priesthood that he did. And inside that, you know, ark, God, when we become in Christ, you become a Christian, God covers those things, and it's his shed blood because Jesus is our high priest. His blood covers that. And so when God says, I will remember your sins no more, and he casts them as far as the east is from the west, this is a picture of God's redeeming work in Jesus Christ. This is what it was all building up to. And here in these uh, verses of Scripture, we have this picture when Adam and Eve are looking back at the Garden of Eden and they see these cherubim where there was shed blood to clothe them, to guard the way, okay? To, this is the only way to approach God, okay? This is a picture of what it's reminding him of. There. But here, we also have another thing introduced, which is called the uh, substitutionary atonement, that somebody had to die instead of Adam and Eve. Okay? And since God, who is eternal, he knows all things, he knows the beginning from the end, and it was his plan to be able to redeem Adam and Eve, it wasn't like he said, you know, you know, when they sinned in the garden, he was like, whoops, what am I going to do now? Oh, boy, i got to figure this one out. No, God isn't like that. He already had a plan in place. All right? So let's go ahead. I want to go ahead and I want to illustrate this in the uh, substitutionary uh, atonement. If we bounce over to um, Matthew... Okay, we have Jesus taking the place of Barabbas. You remember Barabbas was a thief, he was an insurrectionist, a murderer. He actually <laughs> represents you and me. He deserves his punishment. He deserves his death sentence which was coming to him. Now, let's go ahead and quickly read this and it says in verse 15 of Matthew chapter 27 
says, now the feast of the governor was accustomed to releasing to the multitude one prisoner whom they wished. And at that time, they had a notorious prisoner named Barabbas. Therefore, when they had gathered together, Pilate said to them, Whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus? Right? And listen to this. And it says, For they, he knew that they had handed him over, being the the leadership of, of Israel, the Jews, because of envy. And while he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent to him, said, Have nothing to do with this just man, that being Jesus. And he says, For I have suffered many things today in a dream because of him. So he's being divinely warned here. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the multitudes that they should ask for Barabbas to destroy Jesus. The governor who answered and said to them, Who of the two do you want to release to you? They said, Barabbas. This is, you can see the effects of political correctness here back then as it is today. It's a scourge on people when they do not think for themselves and they follow the crowd. And so we have right here, Pilate said to them, what then shall I do with Jesus who is called the Christ? They said, let him be crucified. Then the governor said, why, what evil has he done? But they cried all the more, saying, let him be crucified. So this whole process right here, Jesus goes through five mock trials before this. Never once is he afforded an actual trial where somebody actually, you know, brings a actual accusation against him. But because of their envy and their, their trying to keep their position, how often do we see this in today's society that they will go to great lengths and here they kill the Son of God, their promised Messiah, okay, which was all part of God's plan anyway. Pilate says, I'm innocent of this just man's blood. And he said, you see to it. So he basically takes the coward's way out, which was kind of the way most politicians do today. We need men who can stand up, men and women, who can stand up and do what's right. So anyway, Jesus is then sent off, crucified in our place. All right? This was God's plan from the beginning. This was not so much of a tragedy, and it was a tragedy. All right? This was a monumental achievement. God, the sinless Son of God, who came in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh, substituted himself in our place, and you see it again on the cross. Remember Barabbas, he's freed. That's you and me if you're in Christ, okay? And I want to offer you an invitation. Then you see the crosses, three crosses. A thief crucified on either side of Jesus. One rejects him, one accepts him. All right? They both laughed and mocked him. And then one of them repented on his last moment. He never tithed. He never, you know, went to church. This is a representation of you and me. One rejects him, one accepts him. Will you accept him today? Will you make Jesus Lord of your life? Invite him into your heart. 
confess. Say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. I need your grace. I thank you that you shed your blood for me, which was pictured back here in Genesis chapter 3. For me. I thank you. I receive you into my heart. Make, I make you my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. All right. My name's Keith McKenzie. We'll see you next week. God bless.